Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today we are talking about how to create a good home program. And with me today, I have Kirstie and Claire, Kirstie Miles, who is our team lead over at the Purple Team in Southern Pines, and then Claire Monroe, who's an OT that works here at PDT. And actually, this whole idea to do this was Kirstie's. So welcome, Kirstie. Why don't you introduce yourself, and then Claire, you next. Kirstie Miles. I am a physical therapist over in the Southern Pines area with Purple Team. I've been with PDT for 10 years now. Claire? I will. Hey, I'm Claire. Uh, I'm an occupational therapist. I'm also on Purple Team. I work at the Sand Hills Children's Center, mostly in Rockingham, and also do some outpatient at the Southern Pines office. I've been with this company for about two years now, and yeah, that's me. That's that's a good you. Last time we did the podcast with Claire and Kirstie and myself, Claire, you were dressed as Elsa, and I believe, Kirstie, you were Clark Kent, correct? Yes. Yeah. And you were um, Garth. I was trying not to remember that, my part of that whole thing, <laughs> but yes, I was. I was not going to, I conveniently left that whole area out, but yes, but today, y'all yourself. So welcome, y'all. <laughs> Christmas program today, so I'm kind of decked out in my Christmas gear with my hair bows. And <laughs> are you having like a tacky Christmas day today? Maybe we did. We had our kids' Christmas program. Nice, very good, awesome. Well, welcome. And today we're actually talking about home programs. So, Kirsty, like I said, it was your idea how to create a good home program. I think this is a huge, important issue that I personally, I don't think nearly enough of time is spent on home programs, how to create a good one. I think you may get a little bit of this when you do your internships or clinicals, but I don't think there's enough time spent, at least for me and my training, enough time spent on how to write a good home program. Do y'all feel differently about that? Or No, I would have to agree. I think they focus a lot of time on maybe writing up an evaluation and writing goals, but then how do you get to that point? Claire, what about you for OT? I think it takes a lot more effort than you would expect to create a good home program. I know a lot of times we'll give like little tips and things like that, but to really think about what goes into a good quality home program and everything, it's definitely overlooked some of the time. I think so. And I think for me personally, just professionally through the years, even now, I feel like in this particular area, I'm still perfecting the best good home program. Like my evaluations, I feel pretty grounded in that. My daily notes, I feel pretty grounded. But home programs, I think there's so many, I don't know, there's just a lot of areas that I feel like right now professionally I could improve in because you're creating each one almost individually for that child and that family. And so I think they're tough. I feel like you always kind of have a bag of tricks that you go to, but when it comes to, you know, something outside of your norm too. Mm-hmm. Makes it more difficult. Yeah. And then what makes sense for one group and one family may not make a bit of sense for somebody else. And so you have to tweak it and think maybe that's the difficult part, finding out really what works and then catering it. And it's pretty time consuming too. And the insurance doesn't pay for that, but it does set you apart. So if you're able to write a home program and get that follow through and carry over with the family, it does set you apart from a different therapist. And it really is what is the necessary thing for a child to have happen because it's as important as a good evaluation, you know? I think that 
you know, when you're doing the evaluation, you're choosing what the primary deficits are and how you're going to get to where you need to go. It's kind of establishing how important that home program is going to be in the course of the whole process of getting to where you're going to go. And I think that's the main takeaway is that you're not going to achieve those goals without that carryover and without that home program. I completely agree. So I think first things we need to do is to define a home program. So in my opinion, like I think each one of us should define what we think a home program is. But for me, it's really just what I give to the family to work on. And I know like from a speech therapy perspective, I think it differs sometimes for speech therapy versus OT and PT because for me, I don't give usually an extensive, huge home program that sometimes I see physical therapists, for example, giving. You know, I don't know. You can disagree with me when it's your turn, Kirsty. But for me, I give like more daily functional activities. I would give for feeding or whatever, I would give more of an extensive home program in terms of specific exercises to do at specific times of day during specific activities. But for where I'm dealing with speech and language issues, I'm going to kind of lump those into very functional activities. Like, for example, I'm working on getting a child to request, then I'm going to tie those opportunities to request and would sort of teach the parent about opportunities to request for the child and teach them that and so then it needs to be very functional and very it's hard to sort of create opportunities to request you can create those but it really just happens during the course of the day and it's really more important for the parent to recognize the opportunities to request and then respond consistently and that's where I work with the parents for example but for oral motor and feeding I might give more like exercises do these lip stretches or do these tongue exercises or jaw strengthening exercises or whatever, you know, 10 times a day, twice a day, that kind of thing. But I know that for physical therapists, your home programs may look a little different than mine. It depends too, just like with speech, there's many, many different things they could come in for. So I think when you're looking at a home program, you know, always what we're doing is driven by what the parents are bringing the child in for. Because what we may see as a concern may not be a concern to the caregiver. So we want to make sure that we're taking in their concerns or educating them on what we are concerned about. And so then, you know, overall, the parents give us what their concern is. We use sometimes the term long-term goal. So I use the example of well, I want my child to walk. Right. Well, a therapist is then going to break that down and explain what we need to get to to get them to walk. And then what are the reasons that they can't get to this point so that we can identify smaller goals that they need to work on. And then your home program is going to come in to work on an area to get to that smaller goal. Yeah. So that overall in the big picture, you're getting to that big long-term goal and that child's going to walk. Right. One important aspect of the home program that you're talking about is understanding that the parent's sort of goals and priorities and sort of catering it to fit those. Claire, how about you? You define home program for yourself in your practice, your case. Right. Well, as an occupational therapist, of course, our home programs are going to be different than speech and PT. But whenever I think of a home program, I think of, you know, a lot of parents come in and they don't have a lot of time in their day to add something extra, you know. So definitely thinking about how we can incorporate it into their already lives and their already schedules. And yeah, that same thing as Kirsty was saying is breaking down the main goal into different parts and working on like one at a time, you know. So I think if you're looking at something like handwriting, kids have homework to do anyways, And so they can incorporate a specific task into their homework. Or if it's something like sensory diets, that's a little bit more in depth. 
So we'll take more time to look at schedules and what works and what doesn't. So I think it can be something really simple or it can be something more in depth and more time consuming, just depending on. So I think you have all different levels of home programming also. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think some of the sort of the takeaways as we're finding what a home program is, I think the first thing to really highlight to sort of sum the section up is what Kiersey said too about the fact that you've got to get parent buy-in and understand the parent's priorities because it's not going to be successful if you don't. And I think sometimes that's where therapists get off track. They'll write a home program and they sort of think, oh, well, I've got to write this big, you know, two, three, four page long document. And it's going to be a big thing. But you kind of miss the boat if you haven't found out what are the parents' priorities and what are their goals. And then like Claire was saying, it's got to be functional. So you can write this big, huge, elaborate, like big old graphics and stuff, five page long home program. But if it's not going to meet the parents' goals, it's not functional, you're kind of wasting your time. So that's kind of where we started with the whole home program. It's got to be functional and it's got to target really what you're working on in therapy, what the parents' goals really are for their child and their priorities. Get the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. So a home program can look lots of different ways there. It can be like short little individual exercises or it can be a longer document. So I think we just cured the myth of a home program has got to be a big old long five-page document or something. I don't know if that's what people out there were thinking. It doesn't have to be. It can just be very short. So we kind of define what a home program is, but really they can think of it in terms of homework. Don't you think, Kirsty? Yeah. I mean, when they come in for the evaluation, I think you're establishing right from the get-go Coming into a session two times a week or one time a week, that's not what is going to get your child towards the goals. That's not where they're going to meet, you know, what it is you're coming in here for. What's going to get them there is if you're going to carry out the homework. And the homework is going to be something that has to happen every day. We talk about, like, learning. And in order to learn, it's something that you've got to do on a daily basis. And these little ones, they've got to train their body. So, The homework is really what's going to make or break the child. So it kind of takes that off of you as the therapist and you you put that ownership on the parent to step up and carry that out. And it's our responsibility to then empower them to help their child. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I like the whole term homework instead of home program because it's sort of just it's automatic like, okay, there's work you're going to be doing at home. Most people understand what homework is, you know, and so I think it just sort of sets them up that way. And it's funny, we get little ones that are like a year old or like little babies. And we're like, all right, mom, dad, you're going to have homework. And they're like, what? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Homework. Think of that as like being an adult, you know, you think of you wanting to learn something or learn a new skill. If you just do it once a week for 30 minutes, you know, you're not going to get very good at it very quick. So if you try to relate the child, you know, to in your shoes. It makes more sense that way in my head anyways. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. We're talking about kind of creating buy-in with the patient from the get-go and the patient's family. And because we all deal with pediatrics, for us, it's the patient's family as much as the patient. You can get buy-in from a three-year-old, but, I mean, they they don't remember it long because, you know, something else is going to come along in the next three seconds. So you got to get buy-in from the parent. And the way we work, for example, is we work in our outpatient clinics, but then we also work in contract sites. And I think how you do homework and home programming is different in the two spots. We can address outpatient first, but... You know, Kirsten, you and I have talked about this, so you can take this if you want to start us off here. But I think just right from that initial contact is so important to set the stage and lay in the foundation for, 
you know, the homework they're going to do. You're establishing from day one that, hey, mom or dad, we're talking about people that are coming into the clinic where you're going to have face-to-face or you're going into the home where you have that face-to-face every session. During that initial contact, during that evaluation, when you're gathering what it is that they want to work on and what's going to drive these therapy sessions, you are establishing with that parent your role in this is vital for them to make the progress that you are wanting to see. So that's where you're really educating the parents on how important that home program, that homework is going to be. It's right from the get-go. I'll even say in the initial session, okay, here's the areas that we're going to be working on. I think the therapy is going to help. I want to see them twice a week for 30 minutes or whatever my frequency and duration is. But, But we're only going to be as successful as the work that's done at home. I say it from the get-go, and I'll use sometimes the analogy of a train, like, okay, well, I'm driving the train here, but everybody's got to get on board because it's my job to drive the train. It's my job to sort of set the plan, write the plan of care, you know, keep the goals up with data, keep us moving forward, but it's only going to go as good as everybody getting on board and following along with me. In the outpatient office, to you also get the opportunity for the parent to watch your sessions. So not only like after the session's over, you go out and talk to them. It's like, okay, here's what we did today and here's what you can do at home. But if you can bring them in and just have them sit and watch your sessions, they can pick up on tips and tricks and just small things that you don't necessarily explain to them after the session that is like, oh, that's a great idea. or Oh, I can do that at home. And So just having them in the room with you or just watching you, I think, makes all the difference also. And that's definitely a plus, you know, of them being there at the outpatient versus other settings. Yeah, exactly. And I think also as you're doing the session, you can even sort of narrate, hey, this would be great to do if you're working on with him, you know, during dinner or whatever, for example. You know, I think you can kind of even narrate, hey, this is a good idea. You could try this at home during homework time or something like that, you know. I do that sometimes. I'll narrate as I'm doing therapy. And that kind of takes it away from the therapist feeling like, oh, I've got to go spend 15 minutes putting a home program together Mm -hmm. after my session because you're doing it right there in the moment. A home program can look like a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be something that you write out and word for word and, okay, do this one, then this one, then this one. It could be pictures. It could be something that you write down on the prescription pad or on a piece of paper. I was just in a home visit this past week and I said to the mom, I didn't forget your homework because I was going to bring her some pictures. I said, the pictures that I found, they're not really a good description of what I want you to do. So right there in the session, I said, how about you grab your phone and while we're doing it, you video it. So -hmm. now you'll have it to refer back to. And then you can show dad too. Yeah, see, I think that's awesome because, you know, you kind of get stuck in your rut and you forget about computer technology and you forget that you've got a computer in your pocket that's called your phone. And it does so much stuff. And so you can easily take real-time pictures, real-time video, and send it to the family if, you know, or if mom's there and dad's not there, but you want to make sure dad does it too or something like that in the session, you can do that. And then also, it really, the phone kind of makes it easy so you don't even have to write a ton of stuff down because a picture's 10 times better, in my opinion, than writing a bunch of stuff down. And it makes time management for the therapist helps a whole lot. And I think also when the family's there with you in the outpatient session, the sort of the responsibility it's kind of we're talking about responsibility for this home program like so I'm responsible for writing this plan and work with your child and keep them moving forward and everything but you're responsible for carrying over and doing all this stuff at home so it's we're really talking about responsibility on everybody's part and them all doing their thing 
speaking of responsibility, I think also follow up in terms of like, I usually ask very um, specific questions like, hey, how did he do with requesting during mealtime? Like, for example, if I've given that as a home program exercise, I don't know what y'all's thoughts are on that. But I'll ask very specific questions to make sure the family rather than just, oh, how do you do on his home program? I would ask very specific questions. Yeah. And I think it's important because obviously what you do, like in the session where whatever you give for homework, that goes in the objective portion of your daily note because Mm -hmm. it's what you did in the session. It's what you provided for the home program. So if you had the parent take video, you're going to state, had parent take video of this exercise or this activity. You're going to state HEP one, wrote down for parent, and then what the exercise was so that you can refer back to your notes. So when they come into the session, how did this one go? How did this one go? Hey, this was a handling technique. Show me how you've been doing it. So if they're not doing it right, you either have to tweak what they're doing because if they just keep on doing the wrong thing all the time, (laughs) that's not what's going to make progress either. And then we also, I should mention, if you're doing videos, you need to make sure that again, HIPAA compliant, and you're not sending videos to somebody that you don't have a release for and all that kind of information. So when I say and send the video to people, I'm assuming that you already have a release or your you know, signed release of information for medical documentation, that kind of thing. So that kind of goes without saying, but. I've had parents who, you know, with today and how everybody is with their phones, even if the parent's not able to be there, they're mm-hmm. like, yes, definitely take pictures, take videos, like send it to me. And I think that the understanding is there better too, because I know if I write something down in a note and send it home, mm-hmm. it could possibly be construed in several different ways. Like, well, I'm not really sure what she means by that. So let's try it this way. And mm-hmm. then that goes back to Kirsty saying that they might be doing it wrong. So I think that helps with accuracy too. Yeah, you're right. And I think when you're in the outpatient clinic or in a home visit with the parent right there, like don't even use your phone. Have them just do it. Yeah. And then they're a part of it anyway. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, Kirsty. It definitely closes the gap. I mean, part of it anyway. That's a good way to put it. But it really, it just makes them, again, part of the session, responsible for their part, and they're with you. They're on the train or bus or what. Apparently, I use a lot of analogies of moving vehicles, you know, train, <laughs> bus, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, listen to other podcasts, you'll hear them. Anyway, go ahead, um, moving on. I'm off topic. All right, moving on. So kind of in the outpatient world, then I think we've talked a little bit about parent can be there. You can use video. You have them take, like Kirsten was saying, video, use their phone, use pictures, like what Claire said. But being right there in real time is a huge plus for outpatient clinic therapy. And then you have a little bit of more of a challenge, though, when you're at a contract site. So when the caregiver is not there present every single session and at schools or at daycare or at a Head Start or wherever you're treating, you know, the parent's not right there with the session, but you still have the responsibility as the treating therapist to carry over all that to home. So then this whole situation provides a different set of challenges. So, Claire, I know you're there at the Children's Center. A good portion of your week is spent there at St. Louis Children's Center, so... Talk to us a little bit about some of those challenges that you run into in terms of communicating with caregivers and stuff. Okay. What I think a home program kind of looks like when you're at a contract site like the Children's Center or a daycare or developmental center, like you said, the parents aren't here very often. You're lucky to catch them in the hallway when they're dropping the kid off or picking them up. And then once a year at an IEP meeting, you know. So the main source of home programming are notes or phone calls home. So I know we'll usually send a note home for a kid, I don't know, maybe once a week or something, let them know what we're working on and what they can be working on at home. And then depending on what 
the parent follow through is, you know, some of them like text, some of them like phone calls. You can send notes home. And then uh, also I try to get parents to come in sometimes and schedule an observation session. So once again, getting them in, getting them to see it in real life. But it just takes a little bit more work with scheduling and, you know, everybody being able to come in at the same time and that sort of thing is kind of a downfall. But we try to do the best we can with it and help our little kiddos make progress anyway. Kirstie, do you have anything on developmental home programming? Yeah, I think it's just important because every parent is going to have different needs. Some parents are working, so their child is there for daycare as well, and some parents are not, so they have more flexibility to come in and have a face-to-face session. I think every parent, if they could, would want to do that because it's their child. You are going to have situations where there has to be some other means of communication. Sometimes there needs to be that back and forth, and that communication notebook is really nice for that when you need information back from the family. And it almost sets it up. That way, it's kind of setting up that two-way communication rather than they're not just expecting the prescription notepad to come home or those little pink papers or green or whatever color we have that's going to tell them that they had therapy that day and give a little note of something to do. But it's going to be even more than that because it's going to be coming back to you saying, oh, he's going in for tubes next week okay, Mm -hmm. he's not going to be here. He's getting tubes, Yeah, you know? So it opens up that two-way communication between you and a family, but it's really important to establish that, whether it be in an IEP meeting or whether it be when you caught him in the hallway at drop-off. Hey, I really want to have a better relationship about your child. Would this be something that you'd be interested in kind of posing out different options to them? Because they don't even know what their options are. Yeah. And they don't even know unless you use the responsibility of the therapist to make that first step and because they don't even know that's an option. You know, they don't even know because right. they don't do the therapy thing every day. We do. So I think that's major care. So we have to initiate that. It's our, part of our responsibility. And I think, like Claire, like what you're saying, an IEP meeting once a year is just not nearly enough. So you do want to have that, but it, there are a lot of challenges. You do want to have that back and forth communication, but there are a lot of challenges to doing that if, you know, Kirsty was saying the parent's working or if there's maybe transportation issues and the family can't ever get in to see you, that kind of thing. So I think each little child in a contract site, in my opinion, you have to do it on an individual basis. Right. And I think another way to make that a little bit easier is by communicating through their teachers and their classrooms. So you know, the teacher usually at least sees a parent when they drop them off or pick them up, which we might not even get to do that. So if there's something important that we want to make sure that the parent knows, we can have the teacher pass that along or something like that. But speaking of teachers, that's another really good Uh aspect of a contract site and a home program. I think whenever we think home programming, you know, we've been talking a lot of just about the caregiver and the parent, but the teacher is a huge part of the kids home programming also because if it's being carried over in therapy and carried over at home and then the classroom is the child spends a lot of their day in their classroom with their teacher so that's just another great way to get some reinforcement in there and extra practice in the functional things that they're doing in their classrooms every day. 
I'm so glad, Claire, that you said that because I think it's huge. And I noticed that that's maybe a common trap that people fall into is not communicating with the teachers and the staff. You know, again, I feel like it's part of my, I'm big on this responsibility word today, but I feel like if I'm the speech therapist and I'm working on certain things with this child, I feel like it's my, it is my responsibility. I don't feel like it's, it's not like an option. It's my responsibility to communicate with that teacher, to communicate with the teacher's assistant, to communicate with the physical therapist or the occupational therapist or the vision teacher or whoever may be involved with this child at that school, I feel like it's my responsibility to educate and just generally communicate. I don't mean every session, but just kind of, hey, this is what's happening with little child that I have in speech therapy, you know? It's part of my job. It's what I should do. Yes, Hayden, I definitely think it's the responsibility of the therapist to get in that classroom. It's the same idea as having the parent come into your session and observe. That's also what you want to do with that teacher. So Mm. I want to get in that classroom and I want that teacher to watch me working with this child so they know what to do and how to do it and different ways of being able to implement it in the classroom because Sometimes if you're just like, okay, well, I want you to do this in the classroom. And they're like, okay. (laughs) And then when it actually comes, okay, well, how, you know, (laughs) how am I going to do that? You know, so definitely examples and just structuring that for them and, and kind of modeling it definitely makes everybody's life a little bit easier for the teacher, for the parent and to optimally help that child. Yeah, I think actually, Claire, it makes you a better therapist too when you do that because you're sort of problem solving with a teacher like, okay, well, if you tell them, hey, look, do this this way in the classroom and then they do it and they're like, well, it doesn't really work. Then you sort of open the door for them to come back to you and say, look, I tried what you said, but it totally didn't work. And I've been in situations before when like what I said to them really didn't work. And so then I had to problem solve with them and then I would do it in the classroom like, you're right, this doesn't work at all. So sometimes when you do that, that good communication with that home program in the classroom room that teaches you a lot as a therapist like oh that didn't work I'm not gonna do that again you know I mean I'm not sure that's ever happened to you Claire I'm not saying it has I'm just saying for me personally I've done home program ideas and tried to implement it and I'm like oh ooh, uh, that's bad <laughs> right and anyway you make yourself more available for yeah. open communication and questions yeah. and like please ask me questions please come to me if something's right. not working just you know being very open and having mm-hmm. that close relationship Yeah, I agree. And I think, again, like we talked about the follow-up in the outpatient clinic, I go back in and I follow up with the teachers. Like, hey, how did that work? And circle time, remember when we talked about doing such and such? How did that work for you? And try to ask very specific questions. I don't know, Kirsty, in terms of you guys, because y'all sometimes with PT get very specific about put them in the stander and all that. Yeah, I was thinking about what you were saying about what not to do. So a lot of times, you know, you remove the child from the classroom. And if you do and you're taking them down to a quiet space because with all the noise, ways some of our children they're Mm -hmm. still working on focusing and attention and working in a smaller area with little distraction so they do sometimes need to be pulled out of the classroom setting and it's like okay well when you're going back into the classroom and this could be a whole nother podcast I won't go too much into it but when you're bringing them back to the classroom, you know, accounting for the time it takes to get back to the classroom, you're not just going to push them in the door and be like, he did good today. Okay, bye. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and yep. like go wash his hands. There's the whole transition because now he's just been out of his classroom. The class mm-hmm. is not what it was doing when you took him. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. not going back to the same center he was in. Now they're in circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's like now I've got to take him in, wash his hands, get him back into circle 
which is yep. going to take time to transition him into that if he's like, okay, well, he might be reserved or shy, and now we're pushing him into a group where all eyes are on him, and we're trying to get him back into the circle, you know? Mm-hmm. So it takes a minute to do all that, and that's not the time to talk to that teacher about what he just did in the session. So you might have to come back around. So now you're only plan to spend 30 minutes with him, but you're going to have to go back around to talk to that teacher Yep. when they're getting ready for nap because you need to follow up on what he's going to do in the classroom. Yep. So it takes more flexibility on the therapist's part mm-hmm. to be able to do that because you can't just wrap up your session and put a pretty bow on it all in that one 30 minutes. It's going to take some more yep. thought and shifting. And I think it is an acquired skill. It's not people just coming in to this position that they can just do it. It takes time to get there. It does. But that is home programming. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. you're in that situation, you're not writing anything down, but going back around and talking to the teacher again is home programming. I think OTs get on the hot seat for this one more than speech and PT do, I think, because anytime, oh, he's having trouble transitioning, then call the OT. Like, that's the next word out of everybody's mouth, you know? So I think, (laughs) Claire, you probably have the most experience with this, because also you usually are called in when the transition isn't going well. If it's going well, then, you know, they don't usually call you. But I think that's home programming there. It just looks different. You don't write anything down. Absolutely. And then, you know, once that happens, it's that whole communication piece again. So, you know, trial and error, like you have to get in and work with the teachers and the kids and, you know, see what's working. Okay, try this. Okay, that's not working. Let's try this. Because like we said, every child's different, you know. So whenever something's going wrong, that's when you have to kind (laughs) of step in and see what you can do to help. Yeah. I guess as we move from talking about home program and how it looks different for an outpatient clinic versus a contract site, then we can really talk about what makes a good home program. We've sort of started touching on this a little bit, but like you were just saying, they've got your trial and erroring different things, but it has to be applicable to fit into everyday life. So as you're problem solving, you're basically you're problem solving to see, okay, what really makes sense in a daily functional classroom or home life situations. So you have to know about like the daily routine and just what happens in regular life. I'll talk on that for a second. So with occupational therapy, a a lot of home programming consists of a sensory lifestyle or a sensory Mm. diet. And so that's something where you really need to work together to figure out what the daily routine is. What do you do first thing when you get up in the morning? You know, then what do you do? What do you do when you get home from school? So looking at all of those aspects and figuring out something that you can implement at home, at school, just throughout various environments and times of day. And there's a lot that goes into helping that child regulate themselves throughout an entire day. And that's definitely not something you can do in one occupational therapy session a week, you know. That's just one example of a really intricate, you know, well-developed program. And that's not something you can sit down and, okay, this is what we're going to do and have one discussion about it. And that's something that's ongoing. You know, it's always going to be modified and things are always going to be changing. And it'll take a long time working together with the client and the parent and to, you know, to get a really good sensory lifestyle developed for that child. I think the important thing you talked about was that routine for that child and what do they do first, what do they do second, kind of really understanding what happens. And so sometimes I think the better home programs develop, the more you work with that child and family because you get a better understanding of what, you know, their home life is like or what, you know, obstacles might get in the way of 
a home program or that kind of thing. Right. And I guess I was trying to take that back to how it fits into their life. You Mm -hmm. know, you don't want them to have to change what they're doing to do this sensory diet. So just working with them on like, okay, this is what you do. So we can do this during this time and, you know, not make extravagant changes to what they're already doing. Because, you know, I feel like we all know that if a kid's very routine and, and likes his structure, then you definitely don't want to jump in there and, and change all that up. Well, and I think if you do, then it just won't happen at home. You know, I think if you change everything up and you don't take into account how their regular life works, then they're really not going to buy into what you want them to do. Right. So it's got to be applicable. And I think it can't be so much that they can't be successful with it. It's got to be successful, too. And then I think also equipment and stuff that you recommend for the home. So a lot of times parents will ask me, oh, hey, look, his birthday's coming up. What toy would you recommend? You know, we have toys in the clinics that we will sell to families at a reduced rate to sort of help with that home program and stuff. But I'll suggest, oh, well, I think, you know, the Fisher-Price farm or um, the Fisher-Price pig or something like that, because with that, then he can work on this, this, and this. So I'll sort of piggyback my home program with a toy or a task or a certain activity kind of thing, you know? And that will help me out. Well, and whenever you talk about items like that, you know, you always want to think of, you know, the cheapest way they can get out of it because Mm -hmm. you don't want to have to spend a lot of money for that. But a lot of my parents have made things in the past that work for their children. So if it's something like a weighted vest or a lap bag, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I've made these before, you know, just get some material and some rice. And they're like, oh, yeah, because I looked it up online and it was such and such dollars, you know, and. It's just crazy. So if if it's something that they can make at home or do themselves with what they already have at home makes it even that much better, I guess. We knew she was going to do that, Kirstie. We knew she was going to bring in a make-and-take situation, didn't we? <laughs> That's such an OT thing. No, we, I love, no, I'm just kidding, Claire. It's just because I don't have that ability to like make and take things. <laughs> so it's just, it's just jealousy because you can do it and I can't. No, I always say about OTs, it's hard to throw stuff away with OTs around because daggum, they're like, oh, I can, hold on, I can use that. You'll throw that toilet paper roll away. No, I can use that uh, cardboard cylinder. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, Claire. People <laughs> you, always clean when I'm not around. That's right. I'm See, like, no, we should keep that. Definitely. Hold up. That's my home program I'm working on. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, they take them for a week, and I come back, and all my stuff's gone. Like, Claire's not here. Let's get rid of it now. That's right. No, don't throw that scrap of tissue paper away. That's my home program. Wait. Or the bubble wrap. Don't throw the bubble wrap away. That's my home program. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it really is. No lie. That really is. Bubble wrap's a great home program. <laughs> no, I say it all with love. Anyway, I do. I think, Kirsty, you're the best with this next point, is uh, not overwhelming the parent with very specific, do the, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think you could walk in with the best laid plan going mm-hmm. into your session, and you're like, this is what I'm going to give them. They're going to get these three today. That is it. We're out the door. And then it's like, I didn't give them any of those three because when they came in, (laughs) their focus had completely shift and what was most important today and for the next week was entirely different than what I went in with. So you do have to have the ability to think on your feet and shift a little bit and it's got to be graspable. So I can't give them the three things that I had in mind plus what they need to know right now. It's okay, we're going to focus on what they are concerned with. We're going to give them, I say... I do no more than three. If it's mm. over three, they're not doing any of it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. So 
I try and keep it to one to two. What are the most important things that they have to work on to get them to the next session? Whether it's Tuesday and they're coming in on Thursday or whether they're not coming in until next Tuesday. What are they going to work on every day, multiple times a day until that next session? And that's what your home program is. And if it can be one thing, great. Because you know what's going to happen is that one thing, they are going to embed that into their daily life and then you build on that. So it's Mm -hmm. not like, okay, well, next week you're going to get this thing and forget what you did last week. It's just a constant build. You're creating a foundation and you keep scaffolding it. And by the end, they've made all of these lifestyle changes. So it goes in with what Claire's saying about like a sensory lifestyle. You also have that with other areas of their life. And it's I think of torticollis because that I think is one that requires a lot of lifestyle changes. And it's not that it's overly difficult to achieve, but it might be like, okay, we have to change the way she carries the baby. We have to change Mm. the way she breastfeeds the baby. We have to change the way daddy bottle feeds the baby. But you're not going to come in on that first visit and be like, okay, here are five things. You got to change them tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Because then it's just overwhelming. It's like, you've got to work on this one thing and then next week we add to it. And I say that too for a parent, but also for a teacher, because if you think of going into the classroom and you think of, okay, in one classroom, there might be five or six children with special needs in that one classroom. Plus you have the daycare children that they might not have special needs, but they all have needs. (laughs) Yep, exactly. So then you've got, if a therapist comes in and they're like, okay, for Johnny, we've got to go ahead and change these five things for OT. Well, then PT comes in behind and they're like, well, we've got to change these three things. And then speech comes in and you've got to work on these three things. Mm -hmm. They just ended up with like, what? five, three, three, over 10 things that they now have to work on for the next week for one child. So it's like, okay, focus on one thing. And then when you see that that's established as part of the routine, then you can go in and add something more. So you're kind of gauging to where the teacher and the classroom is at with what you're giving them. And if they're not doing the foundation, Mm -hmm. well, then it's like, how are you going to get the foundation covered to keep building? Because if they're not doing the foundation, you're not going to get to the top. And you know what, when you were talking, I was taking notes. When you were talking, I think one of the things that struck me the most was when you pick out sort of the main things that kind of matches your plan of care. So when you're writing your plan of care, you're working on what's the most important thing that make the biggest difference in this child's life and your home program kind of matches. So I'm focusing on this one area. And so I'm going to give them one thing. It kind of, it just matches. Makes sense. I was taking notes. That was good. Also, when you were talking, I was thinking, too, like when therapists are communicating good with each other and and that sort of the home program in this situation, classroom, because a lot of times I've worked with physical therapists and I'll say, okay, well, how often are they in the stander? Because for me as a speech therapist, when the child's in the stander, that's an awesome opportunity for the classroom staff to do oral motor exercises or to work on specific language things because the child's got a tray and they're kind of right there, you know? So you've got them working in a stander, and then I can work on my speech-language stuff, and so it also helps sort of, there's two things a teacher's doing, but it simplifies it, and it makes it seem like, oh, well, this all these things go together, you yeah. know? So you're not leaving them with, okay, do this, this, like you said. That's good stuff. I like that. <laughs> and then I think being very specific in a home program is really important as well, because you don't want to, if it's too broad, then you're leaving too many areas for guesswork. I go back to my torticollis example. Babies with torticollis, they need, I mean, it needs to be constant and it is a lifestyle change. And I'll be like, okay, with a baby, it's easy because 
how many times do you change that diaper? Probably eight a day. So every time you change your diaper, this is how you're going to get them up from the table. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's their one exercise that they're going to work on for the next week. I am going to modify every time they change their diaper. That's going to get routine with the parent. And then the next time we're going to add something else to a different area of the just daily routines. Yep. So mm-hmm. it it's that whole scaffolding. And I think the biggest thing is if they didn't take a video of it, write it down. Even if you're going over it, even if they repeat it back to you at the end of the session, yep. I still think it's important to write it down. And a lot of times I'm like, go home and hang it on your fridge. <laughs> yeah. Because then dad walks in or another caregiver comes in and it's like, oh, what's that? Oh, we've got to work on that. Okay. And then it's the communication between the parent. And then, well, okay, dad might be interested to see what's going on in the session now. And they'll show up in here, you know, even mm-hmm. if they have to take off a of work, they want to be involved and, and a part of the session too. So that goes with more of the outpatient clinic, but same thing for teachers. Write it down. You can post it in the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're talking about a standard program, how many times a day? How long are they in there for? Oh, put that up on the wall. Right under that, oral motor exercises. These are the ones they're doing. So it's just a good visual and a good reminder, and it's in their face every day. Well, I think that goes back to, um, and I mentioned this at the last podcast that Kirsty told me, you know, it doesn't hurt to always remind the parent, remind the teacher. You know, you might think that it's common sense. Um, Oh, they remember that. Or, oh, I just told them that last week. I'm not going to tell them that again. But no, do it. You know, I mean, do it nicely. But, you know, reminders. I need reminders. Everybody needs reminders. So, you know, don't take it for granted that you think that they already know what to do because, or even just a little bit of encouragement, you know, like, oh, I saw that, you know, you were doing this with such and such. I just wanted to let you know I can see improvements, like Mm -hmm. keep it up. Yeah, And then, you know, that gets their buy-in, you know, oh, it really is working. Let's keep doing this, you know, or whatever. Well, I think that buy-in, like you said, I think that's huge, Claire. And I think also reminding them again, because we do this all day long every day. And so for us, we remember all the various parts of things you're supposed to do. But, you know, it's easy to forget different little steps. And so if you're showing a family a stretch or something specific you want them to do, it's just like Kirsty was saying, if you didn't do a picture or video, you really do have to remind them because it's easy to forget little parts. You know, it's just because life gets busy and it's just easy to forget. So I have a little story to tell myself then based on that whole thing. And this involves Kirsty. And so she uh, gave my daughter little uh, heel cord stretch exercises to do. You know, she's supposed to be stretching her heel cords and stuff like that. And we're supposed to do them when she brushes her teeth. So so that's what Kirsty said. Do these exercises while you're brushing your teeth every day, twice a day. Makes sense. You know, not it's one thing, very specific, when to do it, brushing your teeth twice a day. Got it. So it's easy. So then we went in recently to get her night splints um, to work on. And so I was telling the physical, it wasn't Kiersey that saw her that day. It was a different physical therapist. And so I said, hey, look, we're really trying to do things. We're brushing our teeth, but we just can't get this stuff coordinated so that she can brush her teeth and she can do this heel stretch like at the same time. Like she just wobbles all over and I'm holding her up and we can't get all done at the same time. And so Christy, it was not Kirsty, it's different. Christy said, uh, you could do that right after she brushes her teeth, right? And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but Kirsty said when she brushed her teeth, and so I usually have not that little of a person. But that see goes back to Claire that whole specifics, and you got to review with the parent because I'm sort of think I would be with it, right? You know. But I'm just like even then I was like, oh yeah, I guess she could. I guess Kirsty didn't mean like the heel core stretch has nothing to do with actually brushing her teeth. That was a reminder to me. Okay, now we're in that terrible Kirsty. <laughs> 
So I think Claire is so important to remind parents because even I don't get it sometimes. I'm like, I miss the whole like, oh, yeah, that whole, you know, we were doing the hill course stretch right. But well, actually we weren't because she couldn't keep her balance while she was brushing her teeth. But I was like, no, you got to do it while you brush your teeth. (laughs) That's pitiful, isn't it? Anyway. All right. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) I do have better stories than that, but that was a bad story on me. Anyway. (laughs) But I don't know if y'all, if anybody else has any uh, home program stories or any any little uh, situations they've found themselves in, good or bad. I don't have as good of a story as you do. But uh, one example that I've done, and it worked really good for my little kiddo is he's working on his handwriting and his hand strengthening and that sort of thing. And so the parent has a squirt bottle at home. And so we just incorporated it at bath time. So every time he takes a bath, you know, let him play with that squirt bottle, whether he's, you know, squirting suds off of the wall of the tub or squirting bad guy cowboys in the bathtub or whatever it is, he's squirting that bottle and he's strengthening his hand and he doesn't know he's working or exercising. He just thinks he's playing, you know, and you know, kids usually take a bath once a day, I guess. And mm-hmm. so now I know he's getting his strengthening exercise. And I told the parent the other day that I can really see a difference in just his control uh, mm-hmm. with his handwriting just from the strengthening and the playing they've been doing at home. So that's just a, a small little example. But. Well, but it's also fun. That's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, what exactly. child doesn't like a squirt bottle? That's just a good time. You know, it is a good time. It's a good time. That's fun. So then you get the child buy in. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah, for my home, I try to tend to give them activities like creating opportunities to request or or whatever the problem is I'm working on. It seems to be a lot of kids like that, but I try to make it just fit into regular daily lifetime routines. And I'll tell people when I'm doing home program stuff, I'll say, like, you know, I call from 4 to 7 p.m. every night, witching hour, but it's, you know, three hours long, but it's just a bad, I mean, nobody's happy from 4 to 7. No kids happy, no parents happy, nobody's happy. It's a bad time of the day. So I'll tell parents, get him working on to request, and this is how I want you to do it, and this is what the activities to do it with and all that. But don't do it between, like, 4 and 7 p.m. So I kind of give them an out, like, at different times of the day. Uh, it's just it's too hard. You can't do it. So you have to have some little bit of wiggle room in there and some I guess I call it like grace room for mistakes and for error you know so I mean you can't be so hardcore with your home program that you make the parent feel bad if they are, aren't able to do it you want to give them a little bit of an out in some situations you know like from 4 to 7 p.m. nobody needs to be doing a home program on anything just not good <laughs> or it's, some, if it's something that you want the child to be doing and yeah. they don't want to do it and you force them to do it then they're going to hate it and right. associate it with something that's awful and then that's just backwards progress. Yes, exactly. So you got to give them some out. It's got to be real life. I think sort of relating to the parent and making them understand, like I understand real life. I understand I'm asking you to do something in addition to what you're regularly doing. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible. And I think that helps with like buy-in and making the parent understand, oh yeah, she's on my team. She's She gets it. So I think that's a big part of home programming. Any other stories with home programs? Any other points anybody else wants to make before I wrap us up here? Good? Yeah, you know, I was in PT school, but I did some personal training on the side, mm-hmm. you know, to get through school. Mm-hmm. And I was training this one woman and she hated lifting legs. Like she hated leg day. Mm. And she was just kind of like, well, I mean, can't we just do everything on Fridays? I'm like, uh, no. Do you like not brush your teeth all week and then only brush them on Friday? <laughs> Like, it doesn't work that way. It's got to be every day. (laughs) Right. Yes. But when I said that, she was kind of like, oh, yeah, good point. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Yes. That's a good point. Sure. 
got to be every day. Home programs work the same way. <laughs> mm-hmm. They do every day. Really. Uh, yes, exactly. That's a good point. Good wrap up. All right. Well, thank you, Kirsty. Thank you, Claire. I appreciate your time today and I enjoyed it. Thank y'all. It's fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. This was good stuff. I uh, took some notes, so I'm going to try to implement what I've learned here today. And for people out there listening, uh, you know, hopefully this information here will help you sort of maybe put a different perspective on a home program instead of being, hopefully this information helped you make it more functional and easier and so that you can fit it into your regular therapy routine, what you do. So it just, um, again, not trying to create some big, uh, fancy schmancy five, six, three page long home program, but more of just a functional, regular daily activity and just helping the parents understand it's their buy-in and carry into therapy. That's really what a good home program is, is that. So this was great information. I think super helpful. Thank you again, Kirsty. Thank you. And thank you, Claire. Thanks, Hayden. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's always a good day when I get to work with y'all. So I had a good time. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your time. And we'll catch you on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 